Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. When so my second child, my son, was born, he was very unwell, in and out of hospital. And for various reasons, the then leadership team of Ali Pali, of which I was part, left the organisation all at the same time. And there was this real clash of pressure. So pressure on me to be back at work and to take on the, the £27 million restoration project of the theatre alongside having an unwell child who who literally hadn't slept since he was born and it had been quite traumatic. So that experience of my two worlds colliding at such a pivotal point for both, that's definitely the most amount of pressure that I've experienced. Today, I'm talking to Emma Dagnes, Chief Executive of Alexandra Park and Palace, an iconic public building towering over North London that is over 150 years old, was the original home of BBC television and is now home to world sporting events, indoor and outdoor concerts and festivals, a theatre and even an ice rink. It's also where I happen to have pushed buggies and walked with my family and my dog over the last 25 years. Of Emma's 25 years working across entertainment, recreation and leisure, both in the public and private sectors, The last 12 have been at the Palace, helping to lift the organisation to be a recognised and respected cultural destination. Before becoming CEO, she led the growth of the trading subsidiary as Managing Director and then became Deputy CEO of the charity overseeing an award-winning restoration that cost £27 million. In our conversation, she shares how she learned that her dyslexia was a superpower why the original Alexandra Palace Theatre was worth its multi-million restoration, and the impact of seeing your purpose play out every day. Emma, thank you so much for joining me on this Better Under Pressure podcast. And I am so excited about talking to you, fundamentally, because I can look at Alexandra Palace practically out of my window, and I regularly walk my dog at Alexandra Palace. So it's yeah. it means a lot to me, that whole area. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very special. Yes, yeah, so special. But uh, well, I know because you you showed me around. What was it like two weeks ago? And yeah. I was incredibly um, impressed with the expansiveness of that building. There is so much that the public don't see, which was um, fascinating to me. To say nothing of the sort of history and the stuff that's been left behind and the legacy to do with the BBC, etc. But because our conversation is about pressure. I would love to start with a simple question. What does pressure mean to you? So I think, you know, I'm quite a high energy person, quite positive person. Um, So I think ultimately pressure is positive in my life. I sort of feel pressure almost like a physical force that's behind me, you know, pushing, pushing me forward. Um, and I've always enjoyed pressure, like even from quite a young age and and, and putting myself in 
sort of situations that uh, were well out of my comfort zone and, and sort of still doing that, you know, today as well. And so I, I see it as a, I see it as a positive in the main. Um, I think where it becomes potentially negative is when it almost physically feels like it's holding me back. Uh, or even pushing me backwards um, and, and that's the difference so I can tell when maybe the pressure is sort of tipped into that negativity rather than the positivity quite you know quite starkly. Yeah and I love that description of um, almost like a pendulum that it's either mm. behind you or it's enticing you it feels very alive as as a I can see it literally yeah. like pulling yeah. you yeah um, yeah. Do you feel that? I mean, is that um, is it a physical thing or is it a um, well, you tell me, how, how do you experience the pull and the push? Um, I, I think for me, it is physical um, because I, I sort of almost feel like I am constantly moving forward uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody who necessarily looks back too much. Um, I think also when, again, when it's a negative pressure, uh, you know, I can feel my energy levels dropping. Um, I'll definitely feel it in my body more, you know, that the shoulders might sort of drop a little bit and I can feel that ache coming across the back of my neck. You know, you, know, you can mm. really feel, feel that coming out. Um, so you know, I, I suppose in that sense, it's quite positive for me because I'm able to then calibrate um, because it's such a physical force in my life that I sort of know when I'm in a really good place with it. But I also know when maybe I need to take a bit of a step back, maybe just think about what's going on. What, why, why am I starting to feel this sort of downward pressure rather than the momentum pressure? And then I can make some changes or, you know, sort of know, take the dog for a walk or just, you know, just mm. do something that takes you out of that moment to sort of give yourself some time for thinking and reflection. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's sort of how I approach it. I'm interested in this this relationship with pressure that feels incredibly positive, motivating. And you've mm. talked about like a forward energy. Is that something that you learned at a young age? What happened for you that allowed you to have that clarity around what pressure is doing for you? So, um, so I grew up in Norway um, and I uh, grew up with parents who ran their own business. It was very much a family business, very entrepreneurial. So I sort of saw, you know, what it took, you know, what hard work looked like uh, from sort of day one. And, um, you know, I think when you see that as a young child and you see what sort of pressure looks like for your parents when they are trying to build a business and all that that brings, you know, you kind of, you can almost, again, you can feel it. Um, mm. You know, so there was something in that. And then when I was about, my mum's a primary school teacher, so that was her original training. And when I was about eight, she noticed that I was, you know, approaching learning in a very different way to my peers um, and that I was uh, you know really struggling in some areas of my learning and at sort of around eight nine I was diagnosed with dyslexia and you know in a sort of real you know incredible show of uh, parental love my parents you know who who didn't have a huge amount of money just sacrificed everything to send me uh, back to the UK with my mum and go to a special school which could support me with my dyslexia and, and sort of give me the tools that I needed to um, build my confidence and, and really you know uh, tackle the world despite the fact that I sort of felt like you know, I was 
probably the the slowest. That's how I felt about myself at the time, you know, that I was always the bottom of the class, that I couldn't really catch up with my peers, that I always seemed to be failing at everything. And then, you know, when I went to this school and it was really shown to me that there was absolutely no reason why my dyslexia was going to hold me back. And if anything, it was a superpower and I could harness it to really drive myself forward. So there was so there was that sudden sort of impetus, this sort of energy in me, which is like, actually, this is this is going to get this is going to take me further. This isn't going to hold me back. Um, and then there was also the fact, you know, seeing the sacrifice that my parents had mm. uh, made to, to send me to this school, you know, that all through my life has driven me you know there's definitely a sense in me of you know wanting to show them and wanting to prove to them that all the sacrifice was worth it mm -hmm. um and uh, and you know and and that's not for me it's not a negative pressure it's a really positive pressure because it's always pushing me you know to see what more i can do and where you know where i can take myself and obviously now the organization that i lead um further and on to bigger and better brighter things there's gosh there's so much in there emma that mm -hmm. i want to highlight but there's a couple of things one is that whole idea of going to a school where you are celebrated for your dyslexia yeah. and and having people around you that are saying it's a superpower um mm. the impact of having those those people around you and the whole system supporting that must it seems like it's an incredibly powerful influence and yeah. and this yeah is that right is that how uh, yeah absolutely absolutely because also I was surrounded by children who also had the same challenges mm. and they were doing great things and they were being really successful and of course you know they had a great alumni program so you know people would come back and talk to us about what they were doing and they'd gone on to do great things so you know there was this ne there was just never this sense that mm. it was going to hold us back in any way yeah. shape or form yeah incredibly empowering yeah and then, and then your your parents um, and the sacrifice mm -hmm. that you you feel mm -hmm. they made in in the spirit of of you, <laughs> um, and that's such interesting because yeah. that plugs straight into sort of purpose in my words, purpose energy beyond self interest. You know that, mm. and it's funny actually because mm. we we, uh, we did some work, we do quite a lot of work in schools, and when you're helping, well, we I'm thinking of a particular school that we helped um, with year 11 girls before they were going into their exams and the pressure that that was influencing their ability or so the head thought in terms of them showing up at, as their best and when we were doing some work with them in terms of helping them create some sort of deliberate practice that allowed them to you know manage themselves under pressure one of the really really uh powerful mantras for them was i'm doing this for my parents who because a lot of them were living as second or third generation in in england and they were basically doing it for grandparents that sacrificed loads to send them you know it was incredibly strong for them i'm doing this exam for my grandmother i'm doing this exam for my parents it gave them a different reason to choose to be in control mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that that sense of doing something beyond for yourself is incredibly yeah. important. And, you know, uh, now I have children, it's very much about what I'm doing for them as well. And, and my daughter also has dyslexia. And so, you know, what I'm incredibly proud of is that at no point in her uh, life has she had a moment of even what I had where she thought she feels that she's you know inadequate or you know bottom because it's we've always talked so positively about it and she's known you know so from so early on so again that idea of you know you're doing it for something that is 
greater than yourself is is really important and it's and it's also a major motivator for why I'm you know leading a charity and and why it's I'm so sure. important to me that we have you know we broaden our beneficiaries and that we are accessible to all and we're continuously challenging ourselves on that point yeah I was going to say the same thing I mean it's not by chance I, I'm sure that you've chosen <laughs> to look after such a cultural jewel in a way mm. um mm. you know restoring and retaining such an incredible building um and helping it survive i mean that that's yeah. that's a beyond self interest cause isn't yeah. it yeah, because you because you can again you can physically see the impact it has on people's lives. You know, when the pandemic hit, we very quickly pivoted from being you know a major cultural entertainment leisure destination to being one of the largest food distribution centres in North London. Um, you know, we lit the mask blue uh, every night uh, during sort of key points in the pandemic, and we had people writing in who were saying to us, you know, I've just come back from you know a hit. 16, 18 hour shift in A&E in a local hospital. And as I've been driving home, I've seen that blue mast and, you know, it's, it's motivated me for the next day. And, you know, it's a, you get this, you get fed these incredible positive impact stories and it just makes you want to go on and do more and reach more people. Yeah, I can absolutely feel that. And I can understand it. I mean, just walking around it the other day, I could, I could feel it. So, so tell us about the pressure of being a CEO of that jewel, Emma? Yeah, I think it's complicated. <laughs> is what I, I was saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, never, definitely never a dull day, uh, never the same day. I think, you know, at the core, you know, our purpose is to enrich lives through great experiences forever. Um, and that does obviously mean that we have a high volume of people to uh, the Palace and Park every year. We're sort of one million that come for experiences, mainly within the building itself, and then about three million that visitors for other purposes, including uh, maybe like yourself, just coming for a, a dog yeah. walk or a run in our park. Yeah. Um, and so there is, you know, there's an accountability there. There's an, a responsibility uh, for safety, uh, not only, you know, and also obviously for their enjoyment and ensuring that they have a great experience with us, that they come back, um, but also that they tell other people about us and, and that that's a positive conversation that they're having. So more people will want to come um, and experience what we have to offer. Um, and so in all of that, you're dealing with the public, you're dealing with quite a complex stakeholder uh, environment and landscape. And then you're, you know, you're leading this extraordinary team of people who are just mm -hmm. so passionate and committed to what we are doing and what we are delivering. And they really do bring the most incredible positive energy to Ali Pali, you know, every day of the week. And I think it's also important to note that we are pretty much a 24-7 operation. So there's no mm. such thing as Monday to Friday at Ali Pali. Um, yeah. You know, you we open the ice rink at six o'clock in the morning and it closes at one o'clock in the morning to allow uh, ice hockey. So we have figure skating in the morning, ice hockey until one o'clock in the morning. Then we have, you know, the theatre, we have the Great Hall, we have the park, we have the tenancies in the park. And that can mean that we're doing multiple activities, multiple events um, all through the day but then breakdown will happen you know through the night so oh, you yeah. then have people on site that you're accountable to responsible for um, so it, it you know it is it's never the lights are never off um, and uh, and you know and that in, in one sense 
is pressure because you know as the CEO of that organization I'm never off um but you know that's that's part of the role that's part of the role of operating and being a custodian of such an iconic place and so how do you actually connect I mean like there must be times when you are feeling right at the end of that um, pressure coming up to push you back rather than the pressure coming to push you forward. Um, When you recognise that, what do you do, Emma? Because, you know, that is an incredible accountability that you've just described there. Mm. And you're running, you know, a family and everything else. How how do you do that? What what are your go-to practices or, you know, ways of your conditions that actually allow you to stay so alert to something like that, to running a business that has hours so like that. So I definitely get my energy from people. So for me, you know, spending time with the children, you know, playing a board game, you know, going out, walking the dog, um, you know, just sitting around chatting to them to find out what their day has been like. And, you know, and they're, they're great because they do, you know, they like to talk my kids. So they will tell me every single detail of their day, which is just fantastic. Um, also, you know, ha- having an incredibly very supportive network um, mm. and being very fortunate that I've got a very small group of women who I've known you know we went to school together so I've known them some sort of from the age of 11 um, and you know you know no matter what time of day you know if it's sort of hitting the fan as they say you could always call and somebody's going to pick up the phone and have that conversation with you and know you so well that you can have those difficult conversations with those people that you're really um, close to. Um, And also, you know, I I really enjoy walking. I like being outside. Um, So my poor golden retriever gets dragged across um, all sorts of walks left, right and centre. Sometimes she gets a bit grumpy and won't walk anymore. Um, So yeah, I just just find ways of sort of building my energy levels back up. And I, I really enjoy listening to podcasts. I'm not a big reader for obvious Mm -hmm. reasons, probably, but I do love listening. So uh, I listen to lots and lots of audible books and podcasts. And um, I do tend to be doing something at the time, though. I like a bit of DIY. And my husband has come home on two occasions and found the kitchen in the halls. So, you know, there are times (laughs) my distraction might not be that uh, might be a bit more demolition than it is productive. But yeah. Gosh, that sounds um, sounds like it works for you. It feels like you've got it down in a way. You know this 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 way of understanding how you operate, being on on most of the time. Mm. Are you ever off off? I think my husband would say no, <laughs> but mm. um, I um, yeah, I th- I think I definitely can. There, there are definitely moments when I can completely switch off, and I think for me that is when I take the dog for a walk um you know because it's it's just peaceful and uh, you know I really enjoy her company she's a lovely gold retriever um and you know I can just not think about anything really in that moment I might not even listen to a podcast you know just walk and be in my own thoughts and I'm very comfortable with that as well so um but it's interesting what you said about oh you know it sounds like you've got it down you know not always (laughs) Mm. and you know and and there still will be moments when you know I won't feel like I'm you know in as you know as in control as I would like to be or as relaxed as I would like to be but you know that that's definitely part of who I am and so at least I'm comfortable with it um and I think you learn don't you years of experience as well I'm sure that's true and if you have got this way of operating which feels incredibly energizing and 
interested actually in what it is that you're doing. And you've said you had people in your, you know, it's run by people that have chosen to work in Ali Pali, presumably for the for the purpose and the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How do you manage it when they're under pressure? I mean, I think sometimes often conversations I'm having with people, you know, they feel fine. Um, maybe a leader feels absolutely okay about it, but there are other people that they're leading that are that are under pressure or feeling pressure or feeling high challenge. What do you do as a leader when you're managing people that are experiencing pressure or challenge in a way that's not as galvanizing as yours? Uh, well, how do you how do you lead them? I'm fortunate in the fact that I've been I've worked with my sort of senior leadership team. I've worked with for quite a few years now, so I know them. Um, very well so you can tell you know you could see the signs of when somebody's maybe feeling the pressure and I think it's important to you know have the conversation and actually acknowledge it so I think sometimes you know it's very easy for senior people in particular just to sort of gloss over it and move on and just sort of say oh no we just need to keep going forward you know do more be more etc etc whereas I, I like to take the time to sort of step back and say right talk to me you know talk to me about what's going on how are we gonna you know how do we think we can alleviate some of this pressure what are we actually going to not do um you know I'm a big believer in Mm. you know not doing things actually um you know there's no Mm. point in having you know a thousand things on a to-do list because the reality is you're not going to achieve any of them um you know you have to whittle down and really get your priorities right and and that also alleviates pressure so a lot of it comes around communication and then working through the challenge together to understand how we can alleviate and how we can help and how we can resource better to allow people not to feel negative pressure because of course you know pressure can you know as we talked about can be positive as well but um but if it's starting to impact on people's lives in a way that is not helpful like losing sleep or you know feeling anxiety or whatever it might be then you do you do need to take a step back and really look at look at where those pressure points are coming from and how you can how you can alleviate them i think it's important to pause here for a minute I'm curious at my own response as I hear Emma say how she has to be on, on, running a charity establishment that is literally awake and running 24-7. Because usually when I hear someone say that, I immediately feel concerned. And interestingly, I'm not feeling this with Emma. In fact, I'm feeling her invigoration and I'm intrigued to understand what she's tapping into. What provides her with that positive forward momentum to lead herself and others in an establishment where the lights are never off? She says she actively chooses to build her energy levels back up. So what is it that Emma's actively tapping into here? Well, what stands out for me is the energy that she clearly gets from others, what I call people energy. Emma knows that she gets energy from being around people and actively taps into that. She mentions her team, her family, particularly connecting with her children and being part of a group of friends who always have each other's back, whatever the time. This requires her to be present to those people in her life, another thing that can get compromised when we feel under pressure. When in our head we have a never-ending to-do list, it's counterintuitive to lean into others and believe that we can refuel by being present to other people. But it works. I know because I've had to really try hard at this. And another key thing that stood out for me is when she said that she was a big believer in not doing things. Asking what we're not going to do and getting the priorities clear. Actually, interestingly, the word priorities was non-existent before 1940. 
It was a singular word, meaning only one thing to focus on. Somehow, we've managed to make multiple things a priority. This principle of focusing on what not to do is a deliberate practice and one that we see many leaders struggling with. It takes effort to resist the temptation to keep adding things to the priority list when we're under pressure. It takes effort and that effort requires energy, energy that too often busy people don't have enough of. Morton T. Hansen found in his research on qualities of productivity with over 5,000 people in businesses that a standout quality was their ability to, as he calls it, do less, then obsess. I love that Emma insists on doing less, actively resisting the pressure to go faster and instead steps back and asks, what are we not going to do? sounds like you're alert to other people's pressure that you can pick it up through their yes, signs. absolutely yeah <clears throat> what, what are the sort of signs that you you pick up as um as a leader for me there's a lot in body language um and you can tell you know I, I'm quite attuned to how other people are holding themselves how they're speaking um you know if somebody's sitting in a meeting and you sort of see them wringing their hands or they're touching their face a lot or shuffling papers or maybe not even 100% focused seeming slightly distracted um you know all of those are tells for me that something's not quite right um and and also that point around just asking you yes. know just be brave enough to ask the question and be comfortable with whatever comes back as well um because i you know in the past i've you know worked in lots of different sectors and uh, i know for certain that there was times in my career particularly when i was uh, relatively young where i was under phenomenal amounts of pressure and stress and it was very obvious to anybody who was around me and was actually taking the time to notice that that was the case but you know what no not one single person ever asked if i was okay and i think mm -hmm. that experience actually sort of showed me what bad leadership looks like <laughs> and yeah. what i wanted to be if i ever got to that that point is, is a leader who is alive to not only your surroundings but your people you know really yeah. alive to your people and what what's going on with them um, and how you can help them to you know grow and uh you know and find whatever it is inside themselves to do even more and, and you know really kind of expand into the world but without feeling anxiety or I, I talk a lot at our staff meetings about how you know back in the day you know a certain particular role I had you know I used to wake up on a Monday morning and almost throw up because I didn't want to go into work you know I felt absolutely dreadful I was so stressed so much pressure so much anxiety uh, and this is when I was in my early 20s and I never want anyone to feel like that who's under my leadership is mm. fundamental to me. No one should be waking up feeling like that. So, um, yeah, I do, I do talk a lot to people and ask them how they're doing. Well, I think that's, yeah, I mean, I really celebrate that, Emma, because I think other people that often sometimes teams that we work with, you know, the leader's under so much pressure that they haven't got any energy available to them to lean in to find out how to support anybody else. It's not necessarily yeah. because they don't want to. It's because they haven't got the bandwidth to even mm. think about doing it. So mm. what I'm really intrigued about listening to you is you have obviously a very finely tuned system, operating system of your own. And interestingly, mm. you know, I'd like to go back to that actually about the worst pressure you've ever been, but it feels like you've had some hard yards that have grown mm. some pretty important boundaries in terms of how you protect mm. that energy so mm. that actually you can be there for other people in a way that 
obviously from your story, other people have not been there for you at quite a young mm. age when you've been under that sort of pressure. Mm. Yeah, and I, I call it um, I call it passing the crap down the line. So the mm. idea that you know, as the boss, you send an email at sort of nine o'clock at night on a Friday, knowing very well that this problem is not solvable over the weekend. So all you've actually done is, is passed your pressure on to somebody else who's now has their weekend ruined and is going to be sitting there hand because they can't necessarily get this problem solved over the weekend. So that ruins their weekend. It ruins the time with their family or their own time uh, that they were planning uh, for their, themselves. And then they come into, you know, Monday feeling dreadful. And yeah. I, I don't I don't see where where the positivity in that is. I don't see what the purpose is. Um, yeah. So, you know, we try, even though we are a 24-7 operation, we try very hard, you know, as a leadership team in particular, not to send emails unless they are absolutely operationally um, paramount and maybe even like an emergency or something. We do not send emails late at night. Um, because it's not helpful. It's not helpful for somebody to be, to be checking their phone at 11 o'clock and see that they've got a load of new emails. You know, that's no. that's not going to improve anybody's productivity. And is that a, is that a, a sort of principle or value of your of your establishment, Emma, or is it just a known thing? I mean, how how formal is that commitment? Um, it's not a policy as such, right. but it's what I would call an encouragement. And I do test it at times. You know, I will ask teams and, and staff, you know, as I, as I just always talk about walking the four corners, um, you know, what the email burden is and, and whether it's impacting them in a negative way. And I'm pleased to say that I get very positive feedback to say, oh, no, no, everyone's only sending things they absolutely have to. So, you know, I'm again, I'm not a big fan of telling people. Um, mm -hmm. We're all grown ups at the end of the day. So, you know, we know that this is the right thing to do. And so ultimately, um, that's what we should be doing. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pleased to say with my leadership team, they've absolutely bought into it. You said something just then about walking the four corners. What, what do you mean by walking mm. the four corners? Um, so I'm I'm very on the floor um, at Ali Pali. I'm a great believer in being uh, in sort of visible leadership. You know, I didn't go to university. I, I started life out working as a temp and I was sort of a temp during the day and I cleaned tables in a very dodgy nightclub in Bayswater in the evenings. <laughs> and so there aren't many there aren't many jobs at Ali Pali, probably apart from in finance that I haven't actually done. So I think, you know, and growing up in Norway, I can ice skate and all of that sort of stuff as well. So I think it's really important that the staff and the teams see me and know that they can come and talk to me and that I'm very approachable, um, that I'll listen to them. You know, listening's, a, you know, incredibly important when you're operating a, a, a venue and, and a heritage site of this scale um, and action as well. You know, it's not just a case of um, sort of listening and then walking away and pretending you haven't heard it you know you actually have to um take these matters seriously and and see what can be done to improve um whatever it might be that's been brought to your attention so that's not it's not about getting in the weeds it's not about meddling it's not about being in the detail it's just about showing up you know mm. and and making people know that it matters to you they matter to you and so um that means that it will matter to them as well I love that. And I and that must be 
quite expansive the amount of people that you're connecting to because there's obviously the people that are running it with you and then all of these other people that are coming either to perform there or to uh, be there or visit or whatever. So you must have an incredible uh, turnover of people coming through that building, Emma, all the time. And do you have yeah, to, well, how does that pressure flow out to you in terms of people that are, you know, like the darts, like the snooker and all of the other things that go on in Ali Pali? What's, what do you see that being a people person? Is that, is that something that gives you energy or do you have to limit your energy around um, that? You have to limit your energy around it because it's constant. So it's not possible, for example, to go to every single event that Ali Pali does. Uh, but mm. I certainly try and go to, uh, you know, sort of, you know, I go to the darts for, for a session. And I, if I can, I'll go to one of the snooker sessions. I certainly go to a lot of the live music. You know, obviously you're hosting clients, you're hosting interested partners and stakeholders. Um, so a lot of life is spent at Ali Pali. Um, but it's an exciting place to be. So, you know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's not a bad gig. <laughs> no, I'm sure not. Um, and in terms of the theatre, let's just talk about the theatre for a second. I'm, I'm interested to know about the pressure of all of the bodies that are keeping an eye on you. So that there's, a, there's a lot of what I think is intriguing about your sort of role is the, the fact that it's public and the fact that you have so many different sort of councils and boards and Haringey and all, all of the other things that go on that. I mean, I know when I work with leaders that have councils and boards that they're reporting to, that's just like almost another job on top mm. of what they're doing. Um, how do you manage that? And is that, yeah, what's the relationship to pressure with that body of stakeholder involvement? I think what's important, so we have quite a complicated governance structure at Alexandra Palace. And, you know, and last night, actually, I was at our, um, what they call the statutory advisory consultative committee meeting, which is you have the consultative committee, which is made up of um, local um, associations that have special interests in relation to Alexandra Palace. And then you have the advisory committee, which is made up of representatives of all the local residents associations alongside um, councillors who sit on both of those committees. So I think if, you know, if everybody was to turn up to these meetings, you would have maybe 55 people in the room. And I think the important thing to remember from my perspective, and it is something I have to remind myself of, is that each of those people are representing their own organisation. And so they are seeing that meeting through that lens. And yeah. so, you know, you could traverse an extraordinary amount of topic, you know, in one meeting. You know, you get asked questions that are, you know, very specific, like, you know, something to do with the grass seed in the park, for example, all the way through to vision and strategy and everything in between. And I think, you know, what's what's important about those meetings is that I I take the time to really prepare for them because mm -hmm. ultimately the people in the room are volunteers. You know, they are giving their time to something that they believe um, passionately about. Um, you know, there is this, sometimes there can be a tension between the relationship of um, the charity, you know, charity as Ali Pali, 
sort of the perceived impact we might have uh, on our local community, particularly when we have large scale events um, and, you know, who they represent in the community. And so it's incredibly important that I never come across as defensive and try very hard. But, you know, when you're passionate about something, it's quite yeah. easy, isn't it, to be very defensive. Yeah. So, you don't, you know, you're not defensive and you're open to questioning and, and you try and then be honest when you don't have the answer. So there's times when I get asked a question in that meeting and I genuinely do not know the answer and I am not going to make it up on the spot, mm. you know, and some people maybe would, but I certainly don't. And I will always say, I don't have the answer now, but we will absolutely ask the right person in the team and then we will get back to you, you know, as soon as possible. And I think, you know, that helps as well, allowing those questions to flow and nobody sort of feeling like they're curtailed with what they can ask. Yeah. Wow. When you say you go in and decide not to be defensive, <laughs> is there, how do you do that? Because I could speak to so many leaders who are responsible for these sorts of meetings and it's incredibly difficult not to be. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you do that? I think you have to, well, first of all, I, I sort of breathe a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think breathing, I, I went on a course a, a year or so ago and as part of it, it was a residential course and part of it was a very early morning meditation at sort of six in the morning and it was about learning to breathe and I actually mm -hmm. felt that it was probably the first time that I'd, mm. I know it sounds crazy, but it was the first time I'd actually thought about my breathing and thought about how I breathe and the way I breathe and so I I really try and get as much you know air in my lungs as possible and let my heart rate feel like it's slowing down and stay nice and calm and then also know when it's the right time to push back a little bit but always do so with respect and consideration for the person who has put forward the question or has made the point or has potentially criticized in some form because ultimately you know and I said it last night we want to be good neighbors as Ali Pali you know there is no point in us upsetting the community that we serve that's not why we're here um, so I do need to absorb any um, you know any feedback that we're receiving uh, from from that community and then also give them the comfort that I'm taking taking it seriously and it's not again not just going to be swept under the carpet and go back to them and sometimes say when something can't happen as much as saying that something can happen so again that constant yeah. communication and not just being dismissive of somebody's point of view yeah thank you well what what's the worst pressure you've ever been under emma um, so I think there there was a moment in time in uh, sort of 2014, late 2014, early 2015, when so my second child, my son, was born. He was very unwell, sort of in and out of hospital, and for various reasons. Um, the then leadership team of Ali Pali, of which I was part, um, left the organisation uh, in a relatively short space and time, all at the same time. And um, there was this real clash of pressure. So this pressure on me to be back at work um, and to take on the, the £27 million restoration project of the theatre alongside, you know, having an unwell child who who literally hadn't slept since he was born uh, and it had been you know uh, quite traumatic so i think you know that 
that experience of my two worlds colliding mm-hmm. um, at such a pivotal point for both that mm-hmm. was definitely the that's definitely the most amount of pressure that I have um, that I've experienced in terms of between you know the two personal and professional coming at the same time um, and I think you know again that experience of coming through it and mm. you know my son is very healthy now and you know living a great life and the theatre's award-winning and, and having a great program so you know you can see at that moment in time it didn't feel like either of those two things were going to be possible but by by really sort of almost embracing the pressure and and just finding a way through it um you know great things have happened and it's been uh you know it's been incredibly successful so there were a couple of things in there you said um <clears throat> get through it and embrace the pressure mm. i have to ask you how you do that because i tell you that 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 sort of scenario you've just described could crush one person mm. or certainly maybe not crush but make um different choices Yes. And I think that I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. it. It definitely was a really difficult time in my life. And, you know, I also had an unbelievable commute. It was uh, one and a half hours each way across London. Oh so I was spending three hours a day on the tube. And I remember I used to, you know, I sort of get on the tube at Hammersmith and cry all the way to Good Green. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight, I could tell you. But I think, I think in me, I just, I just knew. I just knew that it was going to be okay and I think that's there's something in that I think if you it's easy and I and I still do it you catastrophize don't you you Mm -hmm. go to that point of um you know the worst that can happen Mm -hmm. but if you again you know just can try and visualize what's the best that could happen and you know and, and I think there's something in having a passion for what you do and feeling that purpose of what you do so for me the theatre was such an important part of Ali Pali's journey to becoming this cultural destination which we all knew it, it had the ability to be but we had to get this project across the line you know there was no margin for error there was no opportunity for failure it just had to it had to happen and it had to be a success and at the same time you know my son had to be well cared for looked after and you know supported so that he could also thrive and I was fortunate in the fact that I have a phenomenal family you know mum once again uh, sacrificing yeah. a lot of her time mm. to to support and and that allowed me to basically do both um now I'm not saying I did both particularly well maybe but ultimately it it led to success in both areas so yeah I think you know but I did deep I dug really deep during that time definitely and what is that such again another beautiful example of the passion that you felt for the end goal yeah it's I love that I love that and I I think like you know we all know that we can do extraordinary things yeah when there's something that really lights us up and that must have really, I mean, you must go into that theater now and it must have such resonance for you, Emma, 
Yeah, I'm incredibly proud of it. I mean, you know, the the team again, you know, the team of architects, the the team we had behind the scenes who, who drove that project forward and drove it across the line. I mean, they are just, you know, so clever, so smart um, and, you know, coming together as a team and delivering it in the way we did. And, you know, it was it was fraught. It was fraught with challenges. I mean, every single day, something, some other disaster had happened. And again, you know, I think for most organizations that could have potentially broken them, but in a way it just seemed to make us stronger. I think we all got a bit belligerent that, you know, no matter what this building threw at us, we were going to get through it. Um, So no, I am incredibly proud. And of course, you know, we're now home to Jules Holland. Uh, We have an incredibly thriving, diverse program. Uh, It's, it's, you know, it's exceeded my wildest expectations Mm. and what it's achieved and what the team have done with it. It is an incredible space, I have to say. Mm. Um, I can, and now that I know that story, it's going to have even more meaning to me when I walk into it. <laughs> uh, really. And you said also in that story, Emma, which you glossed over, which I have to come back to, is that the whole of the exec team or most of the people left in that time as well? Yes, they did. For various reasons, it was just a real um, sort of unlucky timing in a way. So there was four of us on the exec team and basically in the space of about a month, uh, they'd all left and I was sort of last woman standing. So, um, yeah, and obviously this was, you know, just as my son was, uh, I mean, he would have been about three or four months old at that point. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a really, it was a difficult time, but, but there was also great people, you know, who then uh, came into the organisation, supported us. We rebuilt um, the team and the expertise and, you know, and, and that's what took the project forward. Mm. Do you think you could survive without pressure, Emma? Um, I'd be quite inquisitive as to what life looks like without it. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I would enjoy it for that long. Because as I said, you know, I, 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 I feel I genuinely do thrive on it. Um, and I find my energy from it and I find my passion from yeah. it. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think it's me. You know, I think it's in me. Um, uh, I just, I couldn't really imagine life without it, to be honest with you. Um, We'd maybe have a few more kitchens uh, <laughs> still yes. standing. You'd find something to do to rearrange yeah. the house. Yeah. What I think is interesting, isn't it? Because I think that, I mean, you know, and I spoke to you about coming onto this podcast, that that's mm. sort of what's underneath the title for me, that, mm. you know, you you are such a, an incredible example of coming through high pressure, but feeling so much stronger as a result of it. Uh, mm, and it's almost yeah. like it feels like, a you know, a muscle that has been well used, but mm. now it allows you to uh, do all of these other things um, yeah. relatively Absolutely. in a fulfilling way. Right. It's not it's mm. not like the pressure mm. is is um, unfulfilling. It feels incredibly fulfilling and enriching mm. for mm. you. Yeah, absolutely. And attached yeah, attached to a that. building that is so fulfilling and enriching as well. Yeah. And, and you know, look, there is something incredibly special about working somewhere where I can literally look out of my window and mm-hmm. see people enjoying what we do and what we deliver any given day of the week in any weathers. Um, you know, there's there's something quite unique about that, I think. Actually, that's such a good point. When you work with teams and they say, you know, it's about we're, we're really caring about our customer and delighting our customer. But a lot of the time you don't see that delight, but you're seeing it around you all the time. Mm. Yeah, 
absolutely. I hadn't um, thought of that. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, during the pandemic, we had a campaign which, you know, we did a film which was about, you know, can you imagine life without Ali Pali? And I actually had people coming up to me and say, you know, I've just watched the film you've done and I've given money because I can't imagine life without Ali no. Pali. And it actually made me cry thinking about it. You know, that yeah. was the kind of emotional reaction. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes I think it's difficult for people who maybe haven't experienced this incredible place to really understand, you know, what it means to people who do use it. Yeah. Not only local people, but also people who come for our live music or even people who come here every year for the darts or come to our theatre or use our ice rink on a daily basis. There's an incredible connection with this place yeah. that is so yeah. personal to people and it means something to them and it means something in their lives. And, and also it gets handed down from generations, you know, spoke to somebody the other day who was in her late 80s and she talked to me about you know how she had pushed her daughter around Ali Pali in the pram and now she's pushing her great granddaughter around the you know there was this sort of incredible breadth of generations that have been pushed around there pushed in their prams around Ali Pali and it's sort of these stories that then this legacy that gets handed down through the family of this one place yeah wonderful Oh, this is purpose energy, living and breathing as Emma talks. It's the energy that is fired up when we connect what we do to why it matters to others. I can feel her pride and love of Ali Pali and the meaning it has for the local community in particular. There's something profoundly powerful and fueling when you're lucky enough to experience daily the positive impact of your effort and hard work. In fact, this source of energy can support you in discovering more energy this is part of its magic. It's the energy of meaning beyond self-interest, and it has the potential to galvanize all other energies to achieve far more than we thought possible. When something really matters to us, it provides a powerful source of motivation, focus, and determination. It can help us keep going even when things are out of our control. It's an incredible force. When I've witnessed people connect to the power of purpose, I've seen them move from invisible to invigorated, indecisive to incisive, strung out to strong, complacent to curious, feeling stuck to feeling significant. For anyone listening to this and thinking, I want to connect more to this energy in my life, or I want to offer more purpose energy to those I lead. The question is, how do we connect to it, particularly when we need it? It can all too easily be eclipsed by the drive to strive and to keep going, doing the doing, to get on with the daily tasks. How can we more intentionally connect to purpose energy? Well, here are a few questions that might ignite your purpose. When can you last remember connecting to this energy? How often do you intentionally connect and witness the impact of your efforts, product or mission on others? Why does it matter to you? And who else will benefit? Sometimes we just have to keep asking those questions in order to shift from focusing on a goal to a much bigger and powerful purpose. So Emma, if there were two things that you would pass on, pass forward to anyone listening to this podcast who would like to be better under pressure, what would your first one be? So I think, I think there's definitely, and this is maybe coming from somebody who's sort of an operator. Um, I, I think there's something about taking that step back and not so much doing, but the being. 
So, and not feeling guilty about it. I think there is something around um, our inherent need to feel busy. And this idea that you can actually take time out to just think at times feels a bit alien as if people feel like, oh, but that's, you know, I should feel guilty about doing that. And I think it's really important. And I think it's really important, particularly in this day and age where the the volume of information that we are all taking in or being exposed to is overwhelming. It's just absolutely mm. overwhelming for people. And so being able to say, do you know what, I'm going to just switch off a little bit now and and not be overwhelmed and just be in myself is, I think, really important. And then the second one is... Um, just before you go off on that way, Emma, I just wanted mm. to think about that. When you said doing a, the, the being bit, it also mm. feels, as you were speaking earlier on, that the being for you is about being with people, literally like mm. being. Um, mm. And maybe it's the four corners. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it feels like it's got multi-meanings, that, that being for you. Yes, Would that absolutely. be fair? Not, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's not just about just being on your own in a room thinking. It's it's also about spending time with people where you're not you're just in their in their presence and you're listening to them and absorbing what they have to say and not not rushing. You know, sometimes I've got a friend who I phone sometimes and I can tell that she's doing like 16 different things and I'll say to her what I could tell what are you what are you doing and she's yeah. be like oh well I've just put the dishwasher on and I've just put the spaghetti on for the kids and now <laughs> I'm going off to do it and I said you know just just sit down just sit down yeah. and let's have a conversation without all of the clanking and all the rest of it in the background and she always laughs and we yeah. have a bit of a joke about it but I think there's something in that you know you don't have to do a million one things at the same time um, yeah. And, you know, if you just actually focus on one thing, then you will enjoy it more um, and and have a better experience, ultimately. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And you were going to go on to the second one. Yeah. So for me, um, network and friendship groups are incredibly important and they have absolutely guided me through every single aspect of my life from a really young age. I've never been afraid to say that I don't know something. In fact, you know, if anything, I'm always quite open about the fact that I'm not the expert in the room. Um, and so I'm always quite happy to ask questions and to say, oh, you know, I, I don't know about this. Could you tell me? Or I seek out people that I know are potentially experts in an area and just say, will you come and talk to me about this? Or, you know, if I know a friend has maybe got, you know, gone through something that maybe I'm going through, ask if they're willing to talk about it. And, and also, you know, pay it forward in the sense of if you if you can see someone else who you believe you can help or maybe provide some support to be proactive you know don't wait for them to ask you offer offer it for them because it will be it will be enriching for both of you um you know I got approached recently uh, by a woman in her early 20s and so the email was very you know oh I'd love to come and talk to you about what you do and I know you're very busy and you know if you can make the time and, and I just wrote back to her and I said I'd love to meet you and you know what I will learn more from you than you are mm. going to learn from me and I think that's you know that that is really important just always seeing it as a two-way street and how can you continue you know just continuously challenge yourself to be 
curious about other people and finding out about um, them and what they do um, and you know and then hopefully also paying it forward in, as part of that network. I love that. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a phrase somebody I do a lot of work with says, you know, if you're the biggest expert in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that's that. exactly yeah. what you were just saying, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Emma, thank you so much. It's been yeah, such no, a great conversation you. and I cannot wait to come and see um, Ali Pali again, especially as it's developing. It's a magical yeah you have to come around in the summer as well we'll do a tour in the summer maybe get you up on that roof when we open the skywalk <laughs> i will definitely be there for the skywalk oh yeah very exciting as will anyone else listening to this podcast who didn't know about the skywalk yeah. in the summer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so so much right. yeah thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of better under pressure with me sarah milnrow if you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. And don't forget, if you'd like to sign up for our fortnightly Pressure Points newsletter, where I summarise key points from each conversation, you can find a link at sarahmilnrow.com. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.